Welcome to Unsung Heroes with Johnny, Daniel, James, and Sam. Our goal is to leave no hero unsung. Welcome to the Unsung Heroes podcast. I'm Johnny, and I'm joined here with some of my friends. We have James. Hello. We have Samuel. Hey there. And we have Daniel. Hello. <laughs> that was German. Well, it was also English. Because, so. well, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> nice try. Try in German. Uh, hello. Well, whatever. That it's sounds a little more German, yeah. Uh, yeah. So today we have Daniel, who will be presenting a guy named Oscar Speck to us. So Daniel, go ahead and tell us a little bit about him. Yeah, so Oscar Speck was a man who traveled all the way from Germany to Australia. But he didn't just travel like a normal person would. He went by way of water. Ooh. Mm, and okay. spoiler alert, the only way that he went was he only went in his little kayak what oh he went on a kayak ride from germany to australia obviously he had to make some land switches here and there to get into water but he had wow. to carry his kayak sometimes yeah, carry his <laughs> kayak you know but so my question is how did this guy stand upright and balance himself with such massive shoulders i mean that's like, <laughs> what <laughs> his shoulders had to be super muscular to i be think able to you're do thinking that. of like a what are those things called that's not a kayak no, 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 no. I'm talking rowboat. <laughs> <laughs> what? I mean, is he like in a little kayak rowing with his little paddles, you know, the whole way? It's like a it's a fairly small kayak and the guy himself is he's very small. It's said that he was 5 feet 10. Would you say he was a speck? Um, <laughs> okay, that was yes, bad. Johnny, yes. <laughs> All right, guys, this is your new host, James Gilbert. Will be uh, <laughs> apparently he only weighed 140 pounds, so that's pretty insane to think about. Yeah, but I guess you sense. have to be yeah. skinny enough to you know navigate fairly comfortably in that kayak. But good point, James, that he had to be I guess strong enough to carry it around. Oh yeah, probably um, had real shredded muscles. That's crazy. Oh yeah. So before we keep going, I want to explain to our audience uh, some some goof that I've been making this whole time. Oh uh, yeah, for the past nine episodes of the Unsung Heroes podcast. I my microphone has been sounding fairly bad, um, and I was wondering why. And I've been trying to research and try to get my voice to be better for you, our audience, so that your ears don't bleed as you have to listen to me. Um, and I figured out the simple solution was that I was talking to the back of my microphone. Is that why I kept hearing you talk backwards? <laughs> no, that 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 was a whole nother episode where I was speaking in tongues, but oh, no. <laughs> no. So all I had to do was flip around the microphone and this is what you're hearing now. And if wow. people comment and say, you still, still sound sucked. horrible. <laughs> I can't. I just that no response to that. But I can't I can't believe it's been nine episodes. Uh, it's the 10th episode now. Hey, it's 10 episodes, insane. guys. Hey, wow. happy 10 episodes. First of all, yeah, great milestone for us. But also, stay tuned for more episodes, everybody, because the mic quality will only get better from here. <laughs> yes. So maybe next episode, Samuel will turn his microphone around. Or... <laughs> I'm, just I'm trying. I'm working on it, man. That was, that was some bad shape. Uh, oh, everybody, really man. quick, just check your mic. Just double check. Make sure <laughs> okay. that it's turned... I think ours is good. I'm seeing an off switch and an on switch. Okay, don't press that. No. <laughs> don't, don't do it. So Oscar Walter Speck 
was born in 1907 near Hamburg in Germany. So he is a, he's a German man, hence the, the German greeting in the, in the beginning of the episode. Ah, so clever. Ha -ha. Oh, foreshadowing. It's as ha -ha. if you knew he was German. This is like the prestige. As I explain the story, it'll unravel and you realize. Except you're explaining it the entire way. Hmm. Yeah, you're right. Never mind. No, there's going to be a twist at the end, right, Daniel? <laughs> <laughs> Turns out he's not German. He was paddling backwards. <laughs> His name is Bill Gates. <laughs> Everyone clapped. No, his his kayak was backwards the whole yeah. time. <laughs> oh, jeez, guys, please. It's just a microphone. It's, it's getting better. It's not just a microphone. Anyway, so this kayak. man, he was seven right around when World War I started, and he was 11 you know, by the time it ended. He grew up in you know, post-World War I Germany, which... It was yeah. a horrible place to live in mm. um, as a country obviously devastated by loss, but also had to pay you know, countless war reparations. Um, so the economy was just horrible and was super, super bad. So he grew up just, yeah, did not have a good childhood. He dropped out of school uh, when he was 14. It's mentioned that he also had a pretty abusive father. Mm. So his home life is horrible. His just everything on the streets are horrible. Um, and, you know, this is kind of what sets the stage ultimately up for Hitler, as you guys know, because Germany is just down in the dumps and they, you know, kind of turned to him. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Mm -hmm. So, um, by the way, uh, for any new listeners, we do have a rule on this podcast, which is um, we're not going to try to talk about a lot of World War One and World War Two heroes, people who fought in those wars, because there's so many people. It's kind of cliche to talk about heroes from those eras at this point. That being said, Daniel, it sounds like you're breaking the rule here, Daniel. Yeah, you're pushing it. <laughs> this man starts in World War I and goes through World War II. Oh, no. But he didn't participate in them. That's, is it even okay, a rule now? Yeah. Can we even call it a rule? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's it more like a guideline. <laughs> yeah, okay. It's a suggestion. Forgive me, guys. Well, he, he, he didn't fight in them, so, you know. Yeah, there we go. Exception can be made. It still sounds great. Keep going. Well, when people were, you know, thinking about war, he, he, all he was thinking about was kayaking. So as a young man, he he just fell in love with the sport. He's like, I don't know who that Hitler guy is, but I got my kayak. Got a nice boat. And so, I mean, around the time, I don't even think Hitler was really like that big because this is right after World War One. And around this time is when a cheap folding kayak is introduced and it's called the fault boot. And so it kind of becomes a major sport in Europe. Um, and people, you know, attend all these events near the rivers and the lakes, and it just becomes this whole thing. So him and a few, a few friends get into it. And in 1929, as the Great Depression hits Germany, the country was already doing so horribly, and it just starts to be even worse. Um, it's mentioned that in, by 1932, more than 30% of German workers were unemployed. Man. So pretty much a third of the whole workforce lost their jobs. Uh, so at this time, Speck himself was running a small electrical contracting company and it went bankrupt. So he lost that job. And at that point, it said that he just wanted to get out of Germany. He kind of just gave up on his life and everything there. So he decided that he was going to pack up his kayak and board a train to go down to Danube River toward the city of Ulm and eventually make his way to Cyprus, where he was going to find some work in copper mines. Hey. So he was fascinated with mining. So he thought, you know, I really hate what Germany has become. I just want to leave. And I heard of these opportunities in Cyprus, so I'm going to go there. Hey, random fun fact of the day. 
uh, Cyprus has been a place that pr- has produced copper for thousands of years. So, wow, fun Ooh, fact. There you go. Wow. Yeah. yeah, I can't uh, see. I knew that. So thank you, James. <laughs> you know, I had to make bronze. Well, the Bronze Age, right? You made bronze um, with copper and tin. That sounds like a Jeopardy so, question. Yeah. For some reason. <laughs> what is Cyprus? What is Cyprus? what is copper? It's copper, yes. The thing mined in Cyprus. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know how to transition from that to the story. So I'm just speaking gonna, of mining, what? I'm just, speaking of Jeopardy, um, his life was on that. So he, it's listed that he, he mentions in his diary that he kept... Um, that he was very thankful for all the rivers and the lakes that he goes through at first and eventually the Mediterranean because those are what really taught him the skills and gave him the experience that he needed to eventually you know, make it through the whole world. Um, and so he, at first, is just you know, still in Europe. He's making his work way down. Um, and pretty bad for him is that only hundred, about 180 miles downstream, he, so he's still in Germany, he completely runs out of money. So he has to pawn off a few of his belongings and he has to wait for, uh, several days for his sister, Greet, to send him some money in the mail. Um, and that kind of is a start of his brothers and sisters sending him money over the years. <laughs> as early as hungry, he starts be- having to beg on the streets Man. for money. Wow. So the, the, the life of a true hermit here. Hmm. And he, so he kind of gets bored by the area and kind of, tries to go down through the Balkan regions. Um, but he gets his kayak torn up while he's in the mountainous area there. Um, and there's a river called the Varder River. And so he has to go to a nearby town and get his kayak uh, repaired. And during this time, the river freezes over. So he has to just wait there for the whole winter. He spends his winter there. And in the spring of 1933... He paddles out of there and goes towards the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, so it's yeah, it's at this point it's almost been a year since he left his home to do wow. this. So he's like just kind of like a, just a world traveler wanderer at this point. Yeah, I mean it's been a year. He hasn't even reached the Mediterranean. But yeah, the Varda River that goes through. I'm looking at a map right here. It goes through like Macedonia and then through Greece. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So is he? Does he go through that same river or different rivers to get out? He into does. The yeah, he follows. He follows that all the way down to the Aegean Sea wow. um, to, to get into eventually the Mediterranean. So yeah, like James mentioned, that river you know, is going through Macedonia towards Greece. And again, this is where he kind of learns better skills of how to uh, navigate well. Um, he also makes a lot of changes on his little kayak. It says he removed the, the second seat behind him to make room for storage. Uh, he put like a splash protection cover in front of him build a bunch of other stuff around him to keep him huh. safe and whatnot. I couldn't imagine kayaking in the sea. I mean, that's that's something else. I know. Well, did he stick near the coastlines or did he ever go like... He well, did. I guess we'll find out, James. <laughs> Stay tuned. No, it's yeah. a good question to help me keep advancing in the story. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, he never left more than a few miles offshore. So he tried to keep on you know, near the near the coastline mm-hmm. and kind of going from island to island as much as he could to make sure that he didn't have any like giant open sea runs so that he was mostly in smaller distances. Um, so he, and he can do that fairly well all the way through when he's in Turkey. 
uh, represent, shout out. I've heard about that country before. Tell yeah, us about it, Daniel. It's, it's <laughs> you know, like the best country in the world. Oh, wow. That's wow. amazing. Unsung hero country. Am I right? I mean, <laughs> it, uh, yes, we're, we will definitely sing about that country. <laughs> so from from Turkey, obviously, he's going to go on to the this country that's been producing copper for thousands of years. <laughs> Which country is that, Daniel? <laughs> Cyprus. Oh. What is Cyprus? People might not know about you this. You are so though. knowledgeable, Daniel. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Sam. I, <laughs> I always got your back, man. My advisor in my archaeology program spent years in Cyprus, so I hear way much more about Cyprus than your average person probably would. <laughs> You're not representative of the population. but No, if I ever need a Cyprus fact, I'll just call you James. Like in the middle of the night when I'm wondering about Cyprus. <laughs> Samuel, do you, As do you, you do. stay awake many a night not able to fall asleep? Cause who, you just... Daniel, who doesn't? Are you kidding me? Seriously. Don't lie, Daniel. Not me. <laughs> nope. We know that it, it plagues us all. It's because he's dreaming about Turkey. That's what he's doing. <laughs> That's true, which is, you know, close enough to Cyprus that he's well, like, well... Owens close that, quen- that quenches my thirst yeah. <laughs> for, for Cyprus, that innate need for Cyprus that we all have. What are we talking about? I don't know. I we don't really know. <laughs> we're really derailing. So this man finally is decided, you know, to make that jump from Turkey to Cyprus, and this is his first long open sea journey. Yeah, it's a uh, forty-five miles straight from Turkey to Cyprus that he has to kayak, and he does it at night in order to avoid the the daytime heat. Few hours after he's on his way to Cyprus, an ocean liner almost runs him down. <laughs> it's so it was so close that he could hear the people on deck, but he eventually makes it through. And after wow. 24 hours in, on sea, he makes it to Cyprus. Dude, that's gotta be like that's gotta be so terrifying. Like as a guy in a kayak, for an ocean liner to like almost run you over, that's gotta mm-hmm. be so terrifying. Oh, man. Imagine if you're on the ocean liner and you just see this guy on a kayak. Like, what do oh, you yeah. do at that point? Just full steam ahead, man. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a little boat. He's coming towards us. If, well, if they were going th- towards Cyprus, they'd be yelling, did you know Cyprus is <laughs> No, sorry. This joke is getting way too yeah. old. But if there are any Cypriot listeners, we love you all. Is that, yep. the, is that Yeah, yeah that's right. it. Oh, wow. That is it. Yeah, see? Factoids. Title this episode, the Cyprus episode. Or Cyprus. Wow. <laughs> anyway, wow. so he, he gets to Cyprus, but when he gets there, he realizes, you know, I'm really enjoying this. Why not keep pushing myself further? Wow. So as he reaches Cyprus is when he finally decides that he's going to make this a whole trip all the way to Australia. It's amazing to me. It's like, you know, falling in love with the journey. It's part of the process, not the end goal, right? Mm-hmm. It's, right. It's, it's an incredible thing to think. Do you know why he chose Australia, Daniel? Why Just because you? it was like as far as he could get. Like, in <laughs> I think so, because, you know, when you think about the other way around, you can't go to you know you can't cross the atlantic by any means i'm just kind of disappointed he didn't choose new zealand <laughs> nobody thinks about new zealand man. they always forget <laughs> i noticed there's a, a trend that it, it seems to get left off of maps for some reason mm-hmm. so there are hmm. a bunch of like maps all over the place that just leave out new zealand so maybe this guy's looking at a map that didn't have new zealand on it and so i, I guess the furthest distance he would have to paddle between 
two land masses would actually be Australia and New Zealand. Should he act, or would he actually have gone that's to true. New Zealand? So it probably makes yeah, sense. Honestly, that he that's probably there. why he stopped in Australia because if he extended it to New Zealand, that's like yeah, that that's really far. Yeah, I'm looking at a, a map right now and just the, that, the that would just of, be like open ocean the whole way. Exactly. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. And you know, with with the area of Indonesia and all those islands over there, that really kind of enables island hopping and yeah. mm-hmm. staying near the shoreline. That is true. Um, so, how, where does it go after Cyprus? Does it go through the Suez Canal, or how does that work? Uh, yeah, actually, James, you are dead on. And was Ooh, this boy. canal still owned by or under the British mandate at this point, or was it? it? I yes, it wow. is. Ooh. James, you should be presented. If you can, just stop, can you just <laughs> no? Well, I'm, not, stop? I'm making You're a connection stealing. here. Remember, in the Mad Jack episode, he came in 1948. White right as the British mandate was ending, and they obviously own that whole region. So it's a connection there, right? Yeah. It's wow. kind of fun. Good guesswork, though, James, because he goes to the Suez Canal wanting to paddle through, but he's actually denied and not oh. allowed to go. Mm. Those Brits. So he has to make one of his bigger land treks here and he has to take buses and whatnot and walk around 200 miles all the way through you know northern syria to the euphrates river and kind of eventually make his way to the persian gulf so daniel you mentioned earlier that his siblings were sending him money yes is he still getting funding that way he is yeah throughout the journey he keeps running completely out of money and he reaches different stations so before he leaves major cities or towns he mails back to germany letting his family know where he's going to be next okay so they can send all the supplies and all the letters and whatnot to that next destination so when he arrives he has his rest of the funding for the rest part of the trip okay interesting and yeah, so at this point, he's still kind of low-key, and it's he actually mentions in his diaries that he really didn't like the Middle East. <laughs> um, he ran into a lot of corrupt police. He, um, his boat was stolen. He even mentions that he couldn't sleep at night because ravens would attack him. Oh, no. So he's re- he's really having a pretty pretty hard time. He, he's running out of money, and you know there are tons of stretches of this land that there's no civilization, so he's starving and really unable to find food. So he finally makes it through at the mouth of the Gulf. He goes into a port city of Bandar Abbas. This is the mouth of the Euphrates? The the Persian Gulf. Oh, Persian oh I Gulf. see. Did, did he go through the Suez Canal and into the Red Sea? No, no, or no, no, no. He, went, no he's, he, he wasn't allowed to go through, go through the Suez Canal. The Suez Canal. Right, okay, okay, gotcha. So he had to walk through Syria to the I Euphrates see, see, and then yeah. down. Yes, yeah. so he walks through Syria, through Iraq area and Euphrates, um, eventually, he ends up in the port city of Bandar Abbas, which is at the end of uh, the Persian Gulf. And it's a city in Iran, kind of right across the water from Dubai in that area. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm. once he makes it around this bend, he's going to be in the Gul- Gulf of Oman. He spends some time there, kind of doing more repairs in his kayak and whatnot. While he was there, his kayak at this point is completely destroyed, so he had to order a replacement from Germany. Oh, oh wow. And as he's waiting, there's a malaria outbreak, so he catches that, and oh. he has to stay oh, a total no. of six months you know, working to pay off his new boat and trying to gain regain his health. This guy oh, cannot get a break, it sounds like. Yeah, it's this, this part of the journey is really just long and painful for him. Mm. This kind, this kind of sounds shady in some ways. How is he getting the funding? <laughs> He's got the German mafia funding. I don't know. I just <laughs> keep asking that question. 
because his brother and sister at some point, I feel like they would just maybe give up on this lost cause. I don't well, know. Well, that you're, I mean, mm-hmm, yeah, well, something like that happens. Oh, so. oh, oh don't give it away. Oh, Daniel, a, why don't we just tell the episode? I here? am a prophet. <laughs> just go, well, just like Samuel's microphone, mine has a mute button, so here we <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> oh, Daniel, we miss you. Okay, Aww. I'm back. All right, now, that convinced me. <laughs> it didn't take too long. Anyway, shall we jump back into the story? Yes, yes. sir. So yes. He, he's working off his new boat in Iran and yes. waiting for it to arrive and fighting malaria. Correct. So I'm just, I'm just recapping the audience. So he finally leaves from there, um, and he starts making his way to Iran, and in his diary, he includes something where he's talking about times he saw sharks. So he says, I quote, I saw some in groups of eight or 12, often very close to land in the shallow waters. Often I paddle through the beasts with no more than 10 feet distance between them and me to try to get a photo, but they always remain just under the surface. Wow. Wow. Wait, yeah. he had That's camera? pretty intense. Yeah, he had some low-quality camera with him to try to document his adventures. Another old-fashioned travel vlogger. Yeah, really. I mean, <laughs> back at it again. Wow. And then another day, he passes by this uh, shipwreckage with this naked man playing <laughs> bagpipes. No, that's a throwback to episode one. <laughs> I love the throwbacks, man. That's great. <laughs> yeah, no, that didn't happen. So he finally gets to India. Um, you know, he's really worn down. He really wasn't crazy about the Middle East, Persia area. Um, and he gets to Baluchistan, which is on the f- the western frontier of British India of that time. A British immigration agent sees him as he's landing on the beach. And he goes up to him and says, let me congratulate you. A splendid performance. So he's like, what? So by this point, people are hearing about him. And wow. on his route, people are starting to recognize him. That's amazing. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so in British India, he actually becomes a celebrity. <laughs> and all these people start throwing parties and inviting him over. And if anyone here has studied or heard anything about British India, you know, it really sounds like a very kind of lavish time. For the for the British, maybe. <laughs> yeah, for the British, obviously. Right. right. And for the kind of heads of the areas who would serve as vassals of the British Empire. You right. know, people mm-hmm. did really well for themselves. So he mentions many parties that he attended and a lot of places where he, you know, people would just throw money at him and try to kind of fund his journey just for the sake of being a part of it. Huh. What a 180. I mean, went from malaria in the Middle East to partying it up in India. I mean, that's great. This <laughs> <laughs> sounds like the scene in Forrest Gump where Forrest is starting to go on this run across the U.S. and then people are starting to join him. You remember that where oh, like, I love the that newscast yeah. is going around? It's like, for some reason, people just get so interested in the idea of a, a journey. I would join. People want to be a part of it. Yeah. Know, that's what's so interesting. And that's why you have stuff like, you know, Kickstarter or Indiegogo or, you know, other stuff like that, where people just want to contribute to the project right. to be a part of it. You know, I mean, obviously with some of them, you get the product as well. Yeah. Um, or other people do Patreon, which if you guys want us to set one up and send us money, <laughs> let us know in the wow. comments. <laughs> I think you learned a thing or two I don't from think our man. <laughs> we're not, we're not, we're not doing that right now. Just so everybody's aware. Sorry, Johnny. Yeah, we're not. We're not doing that. No, this is this is all for fun and to bring a smile to your faces and knowledge to your brains. And like Oscar Speck, it's it's about the journey for us. So. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and we're all being funded by our siblings. Okay. <laughs> no, we're not. No, no we're not. <laughs> 
We are self-sufficient. We <laughs> 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 just want all our audience to know that we can pay our bills. We're fine without you. We are fine. Well, my don't credit say card it number is fine. <laughs> it's what it sounds like. Don't make it so aggressive, man. No. All right, no. let's let's get back on track. So he's partying in India with British and Indians. He is partying at a Mumbai store. Okay. Uh, okay. okay. Did he actually go through Mumbai? No, I just wanted to say that because it's an Indian <laughs> word. It's like the one city you know. So you're like... Anyway, yeah, so people start throwing money at this guy. It's mentioned that some person who was a part of the British clothing company of the area pledges to send him about... 25 rupees a month, which equates to about $160 in today's money. Nice. Wow. Which, you know, nice. Isn't, isn't a ton of money necessarily when you think about today, but for a man who's traveling across the world in a kayak, that's... That's, that's enough a good to eat pretty consistently. For, and, for uh, a Patreon, that's great. I mean, that's like top <laughs> tier. <laughs> At that point, he gets a lot of privileges. First so. access to the photos he took yeah. while he was... <laughs> <laughs> and he... Speck actually writes his sister during this time, and he says that, he kind of jokingly says he was afraid of becoming vain around this time because there's so much attention on him. Mm-hmm. So from India, he makes his way towards Sri Lanka, and around this time, he's really feeling the horrible conditions of the Indian Ocean. Mm. Um, he's capsized multiple times around this time. He's just looking forward to calmer inland waterways at this point. But... What's preventing him from going into those inland waterways is his fame. He says that he keeps getting like backed up by all these masses of people who wanted to see the great German who lived on pills and paddled a boat that could apparently both dive and fly. Whoa. So he mentions that this is why it drove him almost all the time into, into the pure, if dangerous, sea. So he's aware that it's dangerous, but at the same time, you can imagine a man going on a kayak by himself is very reclusive. So, so. you're saying he would stay away, basically, from the crowds of people? Yeah. So he started making more dangerous out in the sea trips in order to avoid people. Risking his life to avoid people. He's basically the, people. the patron saint of all introverts. Yeah, that's much. what it sounded <laughs> like. <laughs> you know what I was thinking? It, for any kayak company, this would be a great sponsorship. Like, <laughs> give him give him a Dude, free kayak. Right. Yeah, and, and be well, like, oh, our brand of kayaks are the ones that Oscar Speck used or whatever. Like, that'd be... <laughs> they can dive and fly. You know, that's like when, um, again, another throwback to Robert Bartlett in our second episode mm, of yeah. the podcast. He was a sponsor of, was it Remington Guns? Yeah. 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 He was like, I shoot with Remington Guns because I'm a man. Yeah. Mm. And you know, they used kind of his status as this sort of frontiersman of the, of the, of the colder region. It is pretty funny that... Actually, a handful of our unsung heroes were local celebrities at one point. It's just kind of funny that we we don't know their names, but somebody knew them at some point or another because, yeah. I mean, of the extraordinary things they're doing, obviously. Yeah, it's, it is funny to compare that to people like Vivian Thomas, who were not given any recognition during their time, right. but towards the end of their life was finally celebrated. It's very much so. circumstantial in some ways. Yeah, And it's also like a broad spectrum of different things they did. I mean, we're talking about somebody who fought in World War One, somebody who fought in the Revolutionary War, and now some guy who just kayaked to... Australia, like <laughs> the the cause of their fame is so vast. Yeah, that's really great. This is the the goal of this podcast is to shed light on unsung heroes of all 
different types. That's true. I mean, Oscar spec so far is definitely very inspiring. I know. Uh, just to like keep keep going. I mean, to push through malaria. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of endurance. Yeah. So what's really interesting around this time, though, is right around this is when he arrives in Sri Lanka around 1935, which is three years after he's left Germany. And right around this time is when Hitler is rising to power. Mm. And it's it's really interesting to see how this affects his travels, because all of a sudden, when locals see him, he's a German. Mm. Does that make sense? He's oh, someone yeah. who's a part of this country that's kind of making the world news for the wrong reason. So he actually... At some point, Indian local Indian authorities jailed him as a spy. And they said that it was due to the theory that his kayak could operate as a submarine as well as a plane. <laughs> no so they're way. worried that he's a spy. That's Which, awesome. you know, we're laughing at it. But honestly, with the things that that country was doing at the time... You can see that people are kind of cautious of, yeah, yeah. cautious of that. Exactly. Type of thing. It's, it's yeah. funny how those rumors yeah. came to bite him back in the butt eventually, though. You know, yeah. like yeah. just. Mm -hmm. <laughs> can you imagine like a one person kayak that turns into a submarine? That'd be awesome. <laughs> that would be pretty cool. If there's a company like that, let us know. You can sponsor this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Give us a free one. Uh, so from Sri Lanka, uh, he moves on towards Singapore. Before he leaves, actually, in Sri Lanka, he meets a British journalist who he kind of begins a romantic relationship with, but obviously he's a man on, on a mission, on the run. And he shouldn't have thrown he's out that, that, that second seat in the back of the kayak he threw out. <laughs> oh, that's true, yeah. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. What's interesting is, as he's sharing his stories with her, she tries to give him tips on how to write better so that he can turn his writing into money-making articles. Mm. That is genius. Wow. It's very smart, honestly, because she tells him that he sucks at writing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's very kind of as a matter of fact, like I did this, went here, did that, and you know, just no descriptive language, no... No opinions. It's just the facts. No plot <laughs> twists. And right around this time, um, his family starts writing him, asking him to please come back to Germany. And in one of the letters... One of the family members says, we don't really understand why you can't or don't want to earn your money by working like everybody else. Mm. Um, it remains a fact that we all have to get by on what we are earning, even if the times are such that we are not earning a fortune from our work. So obviously, as they're sending money to him and as German kind of nationalism is rising up, they're like, why don't you come back? Um, and his sister, who, his favorite sister who was sending him money earlier, jumps in on guilting him to come back. Um, she writes him a letter that says, on January 18th, dad turned 70. We were all there, only you were missing. Ooh. Kind of Ooh. hitting those strings. Wow, that's good writing right there. That made me think of the Royal Tenenbaums. I don't know why. Just kind of <laughs> a yeah. very artsy scene there. Yeah. It's a good movie. But good movie. Wes Anderson. Please get in touch with us. This is such a such Stop a sponsor. Yeah. We sound so desperate. <laughs> what is Wes Anderson gonna do for us? Like, Somebody sponsor us. <laughs> we are so sorry, guys. We are so sorry. <laughs> so eventually, he makes his way to Singapore. East Indies are a whole other problem for him because there are you know, new languages that he doesn't speak. Um, it's further financial problems for him. Um, and as Germany is rising towards you know, nearing World War II, starts even further political challenges for him. Um, and there's a lot of sea change. You know, this, this area is heavily affected by monsoons. A lot of, because of all the islands around Indonesia, it's just water uh, changes very, very quickly. And you have to go through narrow openings and then immediately into larger bodies of water. 
So this is a very, very hard part of the uh, the journey for him. Um, so he makes it to Jakarta in Indonesia. And he's surprised here because he receives a warm welcome. And the people who welcome him with open arms are actually a lot of Germans who live in the area. Hmm. They take him in and they have him travel around to kind of different German clubs and societies in the area and start giving him money. And with this money, he actually buys like a nicer camera for himself. Um, And before he leaves, this guy named Troutman, who's the Ostgruppenleiter, which means the district group leader of the Nazi party in the area, uh, tells him, you know, he's this pure Aryan man. Uh, He should go forth, remain what he is, Uh. an agent of the new Germany, Viking spirit, all this Uh, stuff. That kind of backfired, like the whole kayaking thing. Wow. It's really hard to tell at this point of how much Speck was actually associating himself with the party because you know it's never it never seems like he's associating himself as a nazi but it's not out of the question that he was nationalistic not necessarily in kind of racial yeah the racial the negative sentiments that the nazi party started to foster in germany but more just being a german Hmm. yeah i think i think everybody this time was swept up in it a lot i mean you we forget sometimes how bound by our cultures we are i mean it was Uh a huge movement and again there was that racial sentiment kind of all over Europe. But again, people didn't really know. We have hindsight to know what happened, but people weren't really aware, oh, this is what Hitler's doing in the background. You know, this wasn't like a a super well-known thing at this point. So the the negative associations we have with the Nazi party, party that we rightly do, they weren't always there, especially at the onset. Of especially if you've been in a kayak for however long yeah, Speck has yeah. been in his. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, it seems up until this point where he gets to Jakarta and meets these other Germans, it seems he's been able to avoid a lot of the German propaganda and like... Yeah. And like the Nazi propaganda, turning everybody this kind of, you know, nationalistic pro-Nazi party. It's like he's in a he's in a time capsule almost. Yeah, it's like he's the culture is rapidly changing Mm. as he's gone, and that he's seeing tail end effects of it as he travels around the world. You know, hitting other civilized areas. So it's really interesting. Yeah, imagine like during this time period of all the decades he could have been traveling in a kayak. I think this would have been one of the most interesting ones just because of how much cultural change is going on in his home country. Mm-hmm. It, that's just fascinating to me. He's missing one of the craziest time periods probably in modern German history because he's on a on a little kayak yeah, going yeah. around. That's just, it is like a time capsule. That's well, pretty. It's a, it's a good time to get out of Germany. That's fair. true. I mean, fair <laughs> that enough. is true. Anyway, so he's in Jakarta talking to those to these other Germans. Uh, so what next, Dan? Yeah, so they start you know funding him and giving him loans and whatnot. Um, he makes his way to Surabaya, which is the second largest city on the island of Java. And from there, he tells you know, all his relatives and people he's mailing back and forth with that they should send everything to Thursday Island. That's going to be his next mail drop. And that's that's an Australian island. So he's thinking, by the end of the year, I'm going to be there. No worries. But his travels are delayed extensively, which he did not foresee. Oh, but he's so close. Mm-hmm. He is. But so, hold on. We'll get there. Oh. It's, yeah, it takes a it takes a turn for the, for the worst for him. Oh, mm-hmm. no. There is a twist. There is no. a, here's the twist. 
So as he's leaving that area, his malaria flares again. Oh, no. So he has to, you know, spend weeks on end in different towns just trying to heal up. And the waters in the area are super hard, like I mentioned. So he's trying to make it through there. At one time, he's going through one of the toughest uh, stretches of water that was called the Devil's Passage by the Dutch. Um, He decides to zigzag it uh, to try to get to this tiny island in between. And... The distance was actually only 16 miles, but the current could go as high up as 19 miles an hour. So he actually spends three straight days trying to go there, but it's forced back and tries to go up and forced back. So on the fourth day, he finally reaches that island and eventually makes it to Timor in July of 1937. At this point, he's two months behind schedule, which you might think that's not horrible, but his time is dictated by the climate Mm. and because of the monsoons when he gets there it's right around monsoon season Uh he's blown off 40 miles off course on on 25 mile crossing that he attempts um so he has to just you know stay down and he spends months in other villages and towns he can find because he just can't make any progress but he still hopes that by december of 1937 he'll be in australia but he doesn't, again, realize just how much more time it's going to take for him. The biggest setback at this point happens when he's on the island of Lakor, and the natives start talking with him, and they're telling him that the best time would be leave would be around 5 a.m. So he says, thank you for your help, goes down to the beach, and decides to sleep in his boat. Around midnight, the islanders come back. They wake him up, and they say, hey, you have to leave now. Hmm. And he wakes up and says, like, what are you talking about? You know, why, why do I have to leave now? But all of a sudden, they pull out their knives and spears and machetes. So he pulls out his pistol in order to defend himself. But as soon as he does that, one of the natives quickly jumps around behind him with a knife to his neck, and they capture him. Whoa. Uh-oh. That's a twist right there. That's a twist. They, <laughs> yeah. they beat him up. They take a few of his stuff. They tie him down and leave him on the beach, and they go back to their village During this time, he's chewing on his bindings, he's trying to cut them on rock, and he's able to slip free eventually. Um, And as soon as he gets on his boat and he goes off a mere few yards, he's free because the natives don't have any boats. Oh, wow. He just leaves land and he makes it alive. But he's so badly injured that he has to go back to Surabaya, which is that second largest city in, uh, on the island of Java, which is more than 1,600 miles back that he has to go oh for my. medical treatments. Mm. Because along the way, he's trying to find hospitals, he's trying to find areas, but the only things he can find are like extremely small missionary clinics that don't have the right equipment. So they have to send him to the major city of Surabaya. So he's he's in Surabaya and he's stuck there for a whole year before he can travel. So he's still recovering from malaria at this time as well in Surabaya? Yeah. So along okay. with the injury. Along with the injury. So one of the injuries was actually his left eardrum was punctured. Oh, wow. oh so he, man. he has he has some serious illnesses at this point. Um, mm. and the Dutch are growing more hostile towards him and they don't want to let him pass by the Dutch territory at all. Um, so they tell wow. him to go a completely different route to Australia, which is just impossible because it's hundreds of miles of open ocean. So he gets them to allow him to go around the northern side of New Papua New Guinea because that's not Dutch ter- territory. Huh. But that would mean he has to pretty much circumnavigate the entirety 
of the second largest and at the time least explored island in the world. Wow. Hmm. Here's the thing, right? So for any any audience members, if, if you want to look at a map of this, so he's in Indonesia, which is so close to Australia, but he has to go all the way around Papua New Guinea, which is so much farther. That is so yeah. many yeah, extra so that, miles. That adds 2,500 miles. Dude. Jeez. Oh. On a kayak, it's insane. It just this adds so much time to his to his journey. That's ridiculous. I love that he's experiencing the world politics in his own little world right now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. like it's like a proxy war. He's like experiencing all the animosity. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And so, as you guys remember, he had everyone send all the money and stuff to Thursday Island. He's not there, and it's been over a year. So all that money starting to be returned and whatnot. And a lot of people were starting to presume that he was dead. But to his luck, apparently the postal system was remarkable in those days. Like they had these fast mail boats that it's mentioned because of persistent bureaucrats, apparently. But like these mail boats were able to travel from port to port and try to find important letters that had to reach people. And he apparently even received German pastries by mail. Wow. So, awesome. you know, te- technology, man. I guess back then, like, the mail had to be good because it was the only thing they had to rely yeah. on. Besides, yeah. like, telegraph and, I mean, they had telephones, you know, but the, the, the telephone. But, but for, like, for, like, delivering right, stuff right. and, like, and money and anything, like, they didn't, ha- they couldn't just transfer funds into his bank account, you know, they right. had to, right. they had to actually send stuff. Yeah. So he's getting really close at this point. He passes through Port Moresby. On August 9th of 1939, that's fairly close uh, towards towards Australia. So in September of 1939, he reaches Daru, which is uh, one of the southern islands of Papua New Guinea. So he's very close to Australia oh. at this point. Oh, wow. That's really wow. close. There's a little tip of Australia that pokes up right underneath Papua New Guinea. And that's probably like, I mean, I imagine it's probably like a maybe less than a hundred mile stretch. Yeah, he's extremely close and local fishermen give him news about Europe and about what's going on and that he has to go talk to the local magistrate. The local magistrate tells him that they need the British officials back in Port Moresby to give him the okay to go on towards Australia because of all the German aggression at this point and, you know, the talk about him maybe being a spy and whatnot. So the local magistrate writes and British officials tell him, Go ahead, he can go. He had to leave his pistol and anything else he had that, you know, kind of posed a threat. And the local magistrate said to leave immediately in case a decision be reversed. So he leaves, he packs everything he has left, gets on his kayak, and lands on Saibai Island, just north of mainland Australia. Wow. And this is an Australian island. So he finally arrives. He made it. He reached it. In Australia. Wow. And as nice. soon as he arrives, local police come up to him. They congratulate him. And they arrest him. Aww. No. No. <laughs> no. Man just wants to paddle in peace. Let him paddle. <laughs> I can imagine like going for the handshake and then pulls out the handcuffs. And, like, <laughs> That's pull like, the, pull the sneak on you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Are you watching closely? That's, that's from the it's amazing thing. that he leaves probably totally amicable with anybody he goes with and he ends on the wrong side of a, a war you know Man, <laughs> there's a context. lot of bad luck yeah. that's going on that's, that's crazy. like this this whole journey like 
had a rough start, and then had a pretty decent middle with the parties in India, and then a really <laughs> rough ending. Yeah. <laughs> but then redemption of actually arriving, but then getting arrested. This is a really good story, actually. Someone should make a movie out of this. I know. It's fun. It's true. It's like Life of Pi. Like life it of is like Oscar. Life of Pi. Life of Spec. Except this time he intentionally was in the water. A speck yeah. in the water. In the kayak. So what happened after this? How did it all end? So they go through his you know, passport stuff there, through, going through papers, photos, because he actually landed on that island with a Nazi flag oh. that was given to him by, those, by oh, the right, German right, club yeah. back in Jakarta. That's not very inconspicuous of him. <laughs> yeah, they find the you know occasional Heil Hitler and his letters and whatnot to the Germans, but they conclude eventually that he was neither a Nazi nor a spy. And in their official notes about him, they wrote that Speck is always a loyal German, but no signs have been found of definite political activity. Gotcha. So they release him, and for the next six years, he just kind of disappears. No one knows what's going on. But... As you know, the war really kind of emerges, they actually have him in prison camps. And apparently at this time, Australia separated their prison camps into two. One was non-political Germans, and two was prisoners of war and actual hmm. officials and agents actually involved with the war. So Speck was put in the former because he didn't have any relations necessarily, but he was a German. But he demands to be put in the other camp because he says he's loyal to the Reich. So he's kind of, Oof. I don't know if he's That's getting a little, a little delusional at this point because wow. he finally mixed to Australia, but he's captured and he's in prison. So he's, I'm sure he's not, he's not happy at this point. But anyway, thankfully he doesn't rile up too much and he's released on January of 1946. After the war. Wow. Yeah. After the war. So wait, hmm. so how long was he in prison then? He was released in 1946. He, was he arrested in 1939? Yes. Wow. You're s seven years? Seven years he's in prison. Wow. Wow. So he's finally released. And this was, like James said, right after the war um, and just before he turned 39, which is crazy to think that we've been through his whole life story and he's only 39, honestly. You know, what's funny is uh, while this was happening, uh, Mad Jack was sailing to Burma on his way to try to go to Japan when the war ended. Wow. So they, wow. they're probably not too far from each other at this point. Wow. Close by. And so he actually settles in Australia and he finds his own opal mine and becomes a pretty successful opal dealer. Wow. So Jeez. mining and makes a comeback. he goes back to mining. That's so great. I love <laughs> yeah, that he like the roots. decided to stay in Australia, but not just that. He decided to stick with mining. Yeah. Yeah. Goes back to his first love. At, at this point, because it's been so long since he wanted to mine in Cyprus that he's like, well, wherever I am, I'll just mine something. Like, I just love that. <laughs> Yeah, and I'll, I'll leave you guys off with this one. He, he never sees his parents again. Uh, he oh, only wow. returns to Germany once, and that's in 1970. Um, and he, he just really doesn't like it there. Um, and he never quite gets the recognition that he wanted and honestly that he deserves for what he's done. And towards the end of his life, he writes one of his last letters to his sister. He says, I am satisfied, recognition or no recognition. We have a strange situation, one of the most difficult world records to this day, and it will still be in a hundred years and wholly unknown, but I am satisfied. The war interfered much more with millions of fates. Why shouldn't I be satisfied? Hmm. That's, mm, wow. that's a good I can outlook. appreciate that's, that. 
You know, that's very fair. Like he's saying, yeah, the war kind of interfered with my kayaking journey. But in terms of people who were affected by the war, I'm definitely on the bottom of the pile. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, right. It's like he had a good perspective about his accomplishments in light yeah. of everything that was going on. Yeah. Well, hmm. so on, nothing in the story made me respect him as much as this last part, seeing him reflect on his life and say, you know what? People might not have recognized this incredible feat, but you know, I had it better than many other people. So yeah. 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 Good on him for wow. realizing that. Wow. I will say, wow. I feel a little conflicted with this guy. Because on what one layers hand, there, you know? Yeah, he's just a he's a very complex guy. Like on one hand, his accomplishments are very heroic with his endurance and his his adventure, and then at the same time, kind of like leaving his family behind right, and right. leaving um, the stability and um, having people like support him to do this kind of adventure it's just an interesting guy well and also you know potentially a nazi like depending on who you ask like not really a true nazi but still like a german and flying the flag unsung hero in the sense of his accomplishments because you know you don't really think oh we're gonna you know sing the praises of a a guy who belonged to nazi germany in terms but, of but but then it's like did he really like how right. <laughs> much of belonging to nazi germany like sure he yeah. was in a kayak for most of the time when uh, <laughs> hitler was rising to power he didn't even know right yeah he had already left by the time hitler rose to power and then yeah he was in prison until the war ended so it's yeah. like and things like the holocaust for example weren't even really brought to light until the years after the war as well. I mean, we sometimes forget this, but um, that that also, you know, probably mm-hmm. helps us understand why somebody could be so, you know, fiercely loyal to a party and, you know. Yeah, and his in in some of his letters from his family, yeah. they mentioned like, "Oh, what if whatever you might hear about Germany, it's all wrong." Like, you know, people here would never want something bad for anyone or something like that. And and you can imagine when you've gone months without speaking German, probably even years, honestly, at some points, depending on whenever he contacted different Germans. But like when he lands in Jakarta with the Nazi party there, you know, to him, it probably right, didn't right. stand no. out as being Nazi as much as these were fellow Germans. We, don't, we obviously do not excuse any form of Nazism. Absolutely but, not. Yeah, but, you know, the... Uh, it's important to place yourself in the, the shoes of people living in the time and... and Understand yeah. that we have a lot of cultural lenses through which we view things in, in our time as well. So it's a, it's a yeah. cool thing to discuss, but a definitely really cool story. I like the the interesting dynamics going on there with the politics and also the travel and the pure, yeah. pure sportsman like you know stuff going on. So yeah, I mean, and really as cool. a as a just an interesting kayak journey. I mean, it's yeah. you cannot deny his his the sheer power of his will and his endurance it's pretty it's amazing pretty insane they should name some kind of boating race after him you mm-hmm. know just it's amazing this was sort of hard for me to read because i i'm not i'm not a big fan of the be the big deep blue ocean yeah um, it's a little yeah. scary so to think about this guy in a little kayak oh man that scares me oh, that'd be terrifying man. and to go that through is... it with like malaria and injuries to the ear and probably homesickness yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, and missing his Cyprus and all those things. <laughs> missing his Cyprus. So, uh, fun fact, guys. Um, is it about Cyprus? <laughs> no. <laughs> so, kayak is the second fastest way to travel that is also a palindrome. 
Oh. <laughs> What's the fastest? What's the fastest? Race car. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> a, a palindrome, for those who don't know, is a word that is, is the same f- spelled forward and backwards. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's uh, oh, right. that's, I, I, that's not my joke, but it's. Uh, <laughs> I just wanted to bring it up. <laughs> that, was, that was really good. <laughs> wow. Wow. But yeah, we want to reassure our audience that singing about this man will have nothing to do with the negative ties of political Germany at the time, solely based on his incredible feat of second fastest palindrome trip around the world. <laughs> <laughs> we got to use that in the song. I feel like it has to come up sometime. And with any any person living in our world, we will all have negative associations attached with us. So, mm. you know, yeah. yep. <laughs> still, still, I mean, still accomplished something Absolutely. worthy to be, you know, sung about. Uh, so mm. we will definitely be working on that song. Daniel, thank you so much. Yeah, for, thank you, Daniel. Yeah, for doing all that research, uh, bringing him to light. We hope yeah. you, uh, any of the audience, um, enjoyed that. Uh, if you want to go ahead and follow us on Instagram uh, at Unsung Heroes Podcast, and we have a Facebook. Um, and if you want to go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes, uh, go ahead and you know give us them stars. That'd be great. <laughs> or star, depending on how you're feeling. <laughs> no, just if it, if it's a one star review, just don't leave the review. That's fine. <laughs> Talked about Cypress too much. No, no, no. We. <laughs> In the review. <laughs> no, we, we do appreciate all feedback. So go ahead and yeah, leave a review over there. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, uh, stay tuned for the song at the end here. Uh, any other remarks, guys? We need more pound drums in our episodes. That's, yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's yeah. the secret sauce. <laughs> uh, yeah. Thanks all so right. much, Daniel. Yeah, yeah thank course. you, Daniel. All right, and we'll see you guys on the next one. Bye-bye. 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 He set out from Germany, kayak and tow. Where the seas would take him, he never would know. His family thought him reckless, and all thought him improper. All he ever wanted was kayaking and copper. From coastline to coastline, he braved the windy gale. The rushing waves are calling him to once again set sail. Cypress, so far with good morale His spirits kept him hopeful Until Suez Canal So he walked through deserts inland Kayak on his back Homeless and unhappy He longed to be on track From coastline to coastline He braved the windy gale The rushing waves are calling him To once again set sail Sailing onward till Australia he'd see. 
from coastline to coastline, he'd brave the windy gale. The rushing waves are calling him until he'd end in jail.